Welcome to the latest Mag Debrief podcast. I am here with Gronya Hallahan, recruitment editor, and Dan Worth, international editor. And the gang is back together again after several holidays. Um, we had holidays when the teachers had holidays, except for Dan. I'm sorry about that, Dan. That's all right. I had a good time nonetheless. Let's get started. So we're going to talk about the cover feature first, which is by two teachers um, who are a couple, which is nice. Um, Mike Hobbis and Jennifer Kemp and they're talking about attention in the classroom and how normally attention in the classroom is a nightmare because kids are quite easily distracted and schools are quite distracting places. The problem you have at the moment is that with the COVID restrictions uh, is that they're even more distracting. Um, you may think that in such a controlled environment there'd be less to distract a student but they argue quite compellingly I think that there's more and they talk about the fact that you know, getting a child's attention on learning other than rather than anything else that's competing for that intention is nigh on impossible. But the conclusions they make about how we can begin to alleviate that that problem of attention are quite fascinating because I was expecting them to go along the cognitive load theory path and say, well, let's just reduce all distractions. Let's let's create a child automaton as close as we possibly can. Let's banish emotion. Let's uh Let's chase away prioritization of who's snogging who rather than, and concentrate on, you know, quadratic equations. But actually they talk about mindset, which was quite a shock to me. I don't know if it was a, a shock to you two as well. Gornia, let's start with you. So I think it, it made sense. Like, of course, it's, it's all to do with mindset. And um, I, the, the situation they're describing rings true. And I don't think it's just the students that feel like that, but a lot of teachers feel like that. I heard somebody describe it as being like permanently on a school trip, like that kind of mode where you're, you're super aware of everything that's going on and it, and it's exhausting and it is distracting and you can see why attention is a problem at the moment, but changing your mindset is a lot easier than trying to control all those external things that are going on because we have no control over that, do we? No, and I don't know if we think back to our own school days. I was a, I was awful at staring into the wind, out the window and doodling. I am the worst doodler, I think, going. I don't know about you two. You still do that now? I do. Sorry. Yeah, I do. Um, how about you, Dan? Are you, are you easily distracted? Sorry? What are we talking about? Um, no, I'm, that, was, that was a joke, obviously. Um, I, um, I, I thought distracted. the connection had gone. It was, no. I, I thought it had all fallen apart. Oh, it's just when technology ruins a good joke. Um, am I easily distracted? Yes, I suppose I am, like everyone. But I thought the piece was good because I liked that idea of saying to someone, saying to a child, mind wandering is in your control. And actually, we all do that, don't we? We all know that if you really need to get something done, if you have 30 minutes to achieve something, you don't let your mind wander. You just get it done. It's when you've got all that time and you think oh, I can I can I'll get this up later and you start getting distracted by other things but I think the idea of saying to a pupil look come on you can't it's not an excuse you can't just sort of pretend oh well I was looking out the window and I was so distracted it's like you know you say no this is the lesson I want you to focus on this and that's why I like to as it complement that by saying but when you set them a task for example is then try and make it engaging and don't just demand their attention then give them a reason to be in, involved you know say read this but read it deeply or think creatively or think of you know, a, a deep question you want to ask on this. And I think even just saying something like that just sort of it will draw the attention in a positive way because it's like, oh, well, this thing is, what, what is this? Why do I need to think differently? Why do I need to think creatively? And so I really like that idea of proposing it a different way rather than just demanding attention, but doing that, but then offering kind of a reason and enticement to, to be engaged. 
I found it quite, um, and this is not meant to be patronising to the to the technique, but I thought the first thought I had was to my five year old, and I say, Elliot, get your get your coat on ready for school, and then I'll come and he'll, he'll be looking at an ant, and I say, Elliot, come on, come on, mate, coat on for school. You know, if you if you go to the front of the front of the house, you can get it on really quickly. You get in the car first, and you have to say it about four times because self regulation is such a problem at that age. But reading this feature made me think actually. Do we give up on some some of that self regulation? I know I know we sort of rebrand it slightly as metacognition um, now, but you know the similarities there are differences. But it struck me that self regulation and that that as you say that constant feedback, that constant you know, are you on task? Are you on task? It just reminded me of very explicit instructions we give to younger children that perhaps we trust kids a bit more when they're older, and you know, should we trust kids a bit more when they're older? Gronya's shaking her head for, for, the, for the record. <laughs> I'm just thinking about how as an, as an adult and as a, it, it, takes a long t- it takes a long time to learn good habits when it comes to work, I think. And it's even more challenging when you're not invested in the subject and it's not something you're enjoying anyway or that you've decided isn't important or that you've like mentally discounted in your mind. Like, I don't need this GCSE to go and do my my college course so therefore like I'm out Mm. but even for those things that you don't you don't as a a child you've decided isn't important to you it's still a really good habit to learn a learn to pay attention and to teach yourself how to do something even when you don't enjoy it if that makes sense. I think it's interesting that when that we see focus as some sort of like universal ability you either have good focus or bad focus. You know, this child is easily distracted. That same child might be on a football pitch focusing for 90 minutes, being an absolutely amazing defender. And yet we, 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 that child may have internalised a notion of being an unfocused child. I think that's where labelling and that's where some of this is quite interesting because actually focus is really complex and attention is really complex. And I think that's another good thing about this feature. It says, you know, there aren't, yeah, this is hard, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I, I, I resort to my brief stint of being a lecturer on these podcasts occasionally. But again, I, I felt that like you can see the struggle of keeping people engaged. And it doesn't matter how good your lecture is or your, your lesson plan or how the subject is fascinating. But everyone has internal lives and you know idea what they're thinking about or why they're being distracted or what's going on outside the window. And sometimes like particularly right now with the windows wide open and the noises that will come in and all oh, what's going on over there and all, oh, why is there a car alarm going off? You know, it is distracting and it's very difficult. It's not many professions where you have to, you know, really deal with an absent, you know, or a distracted workforce. Like people in a meeting at work might not be paying attention, but they look like they are and they can't overtly display that they're not, you know, that's very yeah. much not allowed, you know, um, so it's, it's a very difficult thing for teachers. I don't suppose there's like a sort of literally a silver bullet to this, but I'm sure all teachers have interesting techniques that they think work for maintaining attention. Yeah. It's, I always think of teaching as like doing five performances a day, hmm. like five different, five different. I'd have stage fright for at least five out of five of those. I think if I was faced with 30 kids in a classroom, especially, especially as my friends tell me year 10, I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd get on with year nine and year 10. They, they sound scary to me. And maybe year five, maybe, I don't know. But, but they seem to be the ones that You're I... You're just I, picking I, random numbers now. Well, maybe that's, that's a good idea, John. You, you should go through and teach every year for, for like... Sure, right. that sounds like feed, a good feature. Feedback on which year you found best and worst. Yeah, and that, that, that'd be about as uh, accurate as some of the uh, research coming out of certain uh, 
public bodies at the moment. Um, swiftly moving on to feature two. Okay, so we're going to look at um, donuts. I'm saying, that, I'm saying that in a questioning way, as if I don't know what the donut story is about. Of course, I do know what it's about, although my very able deputy commissioning editor, Helen Amas, um, did commission that one. But I have read it on proof, and I, I did find it very interesting indeed. So, Gronya, tell us, donuts. Now, I will confess, I picked this because I read it when I was feeling hungry. And it had not just donuts, but it mentions like Goldilocks. So it doubly got me on sweet donut things. porridge. Yeah. Sucker for it. Ever had a donut inside porridge? Porridge? A donut pushed inside porridge? Ever tasted No, I don't think that's a thing. That's not a thing. Maybe we could create a thing, like a cronut, a ponut. Anyway, carry on. I don't think anyone's going to be picking that idea up. But um, donuts. So donut economics is this idea about... Okay, so I'm going to quote a bit from the feature because it is a little bit complicated and I'm not that smart. So... That's, that's a lie. Just, that's a lie. <laughs> I just really want to get it right. So it says in her book, Roweth explains that economic growth has been the dominant goal of the economic policy throughout the 20th and early 21st centuries. Governments, companies, and even individuals have judged their success on the annual growth of their wealth. However, Roweth points out that this mindset fails to take into account any damage that is done to the environment or in society in the process of achieving this growth and assumes that growth can continue indefinitely without encountering a limiting ceiling. And it goes on to explain it's basically this balance between wanting companies to grow and also balancing that with the, the well-being in the company and the needs of the, the people that work there. And this is like what we're talking about in schools, like you want to progress, you want to improve your staff, you want to improve results, you want it to be a, a really challenging place to work, but you also want people to want to work there and not feel completely washed out and drained by new initiative followed by new initiative followed by new initiative. And I think I really love this piece because having worked in lots of different schools, it really spoke to me in terms of, what can be like working in a really high pressured school versus being in quite a relaxed school and it is that goldilocks like you want it to be just right you do want a little bit of challenge you don't want it to be too laid back but you don't want it to be so crazy pushy and busy that with too many initiatives that you can't really take stock of anything can't take control of anything because it's all moving too fast so i think it's a really interesting leadership piece and i think it is something that school leaders should think about when they consider introducing new things for their staff I think it's um I think one of the things that can really make a difference there is 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 ideology and belief systems in the sense that when a leader really gets behind something it's a bit like you know when you really like a band and you really want everyone else to love that band and you're like you, you become quite evangelical and quite pushy how can you not love this band it feels a bit like that with CPD sometimes and yeah I think for leaders it's you know I'm not telling them how to do their job in any means but from the sort of stuff we've had in from head teachers it's the, the ones who sort of been through the mill and say, this is the mistake I made. It's often, I wasn't reactive enough. Yes, X theory seemed like the best idea and I was forcing it through, but actually they weren't feeling it. And I ended up pushing them into a, probably a, a damaging zone. Whereas actually I should again, okay, it looks good on paper. It's not working here. Let's move on. And I think sometimes we do suffer from that because there's a lot of people, um, offering research as quick fixes and you go into accountability systems there and it becomes like okay well we're, re we're really poor on spelling this thing looks like a golden bullet let's do it and everything gets changed and everyone gets excited and it doesn't work and that has i think a sort of 
what's the word an attritional is that the word i'm looking for probably an attritional uh, impact where every new initiative then is tarred slightly by that yes failure. yes you get fatigued and fatigue, that's a better word you've not just got the the bombardment from your school leadership you've also got all the changes coming from like a, a higher level from the government level as well so you're getting it like doubly it's really and it's really difficult that when you see something that's just been introduced and you start to embed it and you start to see results and then it gets dropped because the person who introduced it's left now and there's nobody pushing it forward anymore and you still quite like it but you're told not to use it and you just get a bit exhausted when so when something new comes in you're like I'm not gonna do this look what I, happened last I, time. I, I so wish you could see Gronya's face at the moment because it is year 11 girl telling her tutor where to go <laughs> I think that was a proper like dismissive hand gesture towards the camera <laughs> we all know what it's like when somebody comes to you with a, a brand new sparkly idea and you're just thinking you won't want me to do this in three months i'm not going to laminate stuff because it's going to go out the window and you just smile and they're like yeah yeah i'll totally do that i'm not going to do that but let's say you have an idea that is really good i mean i, I guess mm. if, if the leader's out president. yeah and if and if a leader's out there saying i haven't made those mistakes but this one is actually yeah. something that should work how do you get over that cynicism i don't know i mean dan you're a very optimistic happy go lucky kind of guy how would you deal with a cynical gronya who's going you know, F off. I'm not having another one of your interventions work. Well, the thing is, it's all, I guess that's difficult, isn't it? If you're always changing things all the time, why are you doing that? That's what you need to ask, isn't it? It's like, you shouldn't be doing that. I don't understand. I mean, I've, I've worked at various places and, and seen very poor implementation of ideas and it does come down to the management of the people. And if you just try and be all, oh, hey guys, this is another great idea I've got. You, and you don't sort of spot that people kind of actually sort of slightly roll their eyes or sort of aren't as engaged by the fourth time you say that as the first time, because the first time they kind of bought into it, then you're not really paying attention to your workforce. And similarly, if you've got, if something you think you do think is a good idea, you need to explain why quite clearly. I think that's another problem is people have ideas and they just sort of say them out loud and then think that's, that's all clear. And, but obviously you don't want to be death by PowerPoint, but you do need to outline what you actually are saying for this and how's it going to work and who's going to do it. And, you know, what resources do we need? And I've worked at so many places where an idea is put forward in this kind of way. And then you sort of say, oh, okay, great. So what about this? And they say, oh, uh, we haven't really thought about that yet. Oh, okay. And what about this? Oh, we don't know about that. And who's, well, we don't know who's in charge of that bit actually. And you just sit thinking, you haven't thought this through. And yet you're asking me to sort of go with this supposedly good idea. And I've just pointed out, and maybe this is the sort of journalistic skill that you have is that immediately asking questions that you ideally sort of go right to the heart of something rather than going, oh, that's a good idea. And I once worked at a university and it, it was very apparent to me quickly that asking questions in meetings was not expected because it was like you were going against what this was a good idea we've just had. And it wasn't trying to be dismissive. It was trying to be, okay, so how do we do this as well as possible? Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's a bit of a long answer, but I think it's that point, isn't it? It's like you need as the leader, if you have a great idea to make sure it delivers up front, because that's, that's the first impression of that idea, isn't it? I worked with an excellent middle leader once who would do exactly that. And when new initiatives were brought in, her first question would always be, so what are we taking off then? What is going to, how are we going to create this time? What's going to come out? Mm. And she was, um, she was labeled a, an, a fun vacuum. <laughs> okay. My yeah. senior leadership. I think, that was I like the phrase is usually a fun sponge, isn't it? Oh, I was like, oh, it was or a vampire, like a, it was yeah. some sort of sucking thing, but they, they well, there's, came... there's the mood. There's the mood Hoover. <laughs> she was just taking. Like, she was trying to like deflate ideas, but 
it's just it's practicalities isn't it if somebody comes with a great idea if you're the person who has to carry it out you will be thinking in practical terms you will be thinking well, when I'm, when will this happen what's got to go in order for that to happen you you have to ask questions and interrogate things you can't just blindly shrug your shoulders and go yeah sure i'll get my team to do that it's that's not the role of a leader is it i think we are um having middle leaders across the country cheering as we stand up for them against the tyranny of ideas but um i think <laughs> the we also tyranny have... of ideas that's a leadership book title of February. <laughs> and a prog rock album possibly <laughs> <laughs> but i think we also have to emphasize that you know middle leaders and, and staff have to pay their pay their part and and sometimes trust leaders and and yeah. and have a balance between being uh questioning and and actually being a fun sponge stroke mood hoover well, I, I think that that's that's difficult one, isn't it because you should have to saying no to ideas is a skill as much as just saying yeah. yes to everything but it's about how you say no isn't um, it it's like you say that actually is a good idea but we can't do it right now or we don't have the capacity but i want to pick it up in six months time or that and meaning that but mm. i think that's what a good leader does they they react to the person in front of them and what they're saying and don't just dismiss or say yes to everything which equally is no help to anyone because then you're just overwhelmed with ideas that never get full focus and that's exactly what the piece is all about Go and read it. It's great. And have a donut while you do so. <laughs> okay, so for feature number three, we are going into an area that I didn't think we'd go into during a, a COVID pandemic. But teachers being the heroes they are, they are not going to let the Christmas performance die. Mm. We, you know, I put out a tweet, I think, four or five weeks ago saying, oh, it's going to be a shame that nativities aren't happening. And everyone went, what? <laughs> we have we have already booked our Mary costume. The straw is arriving. We are going to put on a show. And Carly uh, Page has looked into the sort of practicalities, actually. And I, I found this piece quite shocking, but I'll let Dan talk you through it because there's more to it than you think, perhaps. Yeah, it's a really nice piece, isn't it? And, and Carly interviews the excellently named Dr. Angel Urbina Garcia, um, who talks a lot about, about, you know, the sort of psychology of uh, who you appoint as, as your characters in your nativity um and and you know how you choose them and, and why you know it's very easy to sort of put the obviously loud child into the lead role and the quiet child into the third tree on the left but actually if you do that are you sort of reinforcing the view that child has of themselves and, and, and then maybe their parents have them as well and actually if you give them an opportunity to put themselves forward that's different or do you audition and so forth and yeah it really made me think god yeah everything teachers do just is nothing simple is it like you know suddenly you next next day it's oh i'm steve steven spielberg today and i'm casting for the play and these decisions have massive impacts beyond the community and i'll have parents at my door saying you know my son tarquin should be the lead role you know he's a great <laughs> thesp and it's just like it's so difficult but again i really like it because it, it's a really good example of saying it's always worth stopping and thinking and and thinking about what you could do better or different and actually you know and, and there's a nice piece about as well like letting the children have a bit of autonomy in it and it's not about delivering an oscar winning production it's about a school play and it's fun and it should be engaging and, and you know maybe a bit silly that's what it's about i think it's it it it, it wasn't something it's a bit like whoever invented the paperclip it looks like a simple invention but they're multi-millionaire because they, they managed to think of it and it's the same it's sort of like i never really thought about the impact on the child so much of the focus is on angry parents that their child isn't mary that you never think about well you know why does why does the loud kid get the speaking part and why does the quiet kid go in the side and what does that what what impact does that have on them long term and i thought the piece about auditions was really interesting because 
you know, the, the suggestion from the academic was that actually auditions can be quite a free platform. And Carly rightly says, well, you know, the shy kid's not going to audition. I said, oh, they will if you do the audition in the right way. And you structure that and you give them a chance and then it's a lot more democratic and fair and it gets some parents off your back as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And even if you do that and then it, it still doesn't work, it's like you, you can't win them all. But I, I think that's a nice way of making it a bit fairer. Or like so in some ways, make, it's hard, isn't it? Because you might sort of see the child and think, well, actually, I'd love to give, you know, little Tommy more of a more of a starring role because he's always quiet but you know that if you do that it might make it 10 times worse for him and he's nervous because and he doesn't want to be in the limelight how do you know but at least if you open it up in a bit more democratic way or, or maybe don't give them the lead role but don't give them the third wise man who doesn't yeah. say anything role i had i should add um <laughs> still then, bitter <laughs> mrs morgan um <laughs> But no, she was a lovely teacher. <laughs> she was a lovely teacher. I, I, I retract that. Um, then, then, You're not you know, allowed to. It's the, the deed is done. <laughs> Mrs. Morgan is crying. Is there, um, is there a role more in the middle for them? You know, the innkeeper role or something where they have a few lines, so they're not star, you know, the star turn, but they're, they're a bit more out there than they would be otherwise if you just defaulted to where they would sit. And um, yeah, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I don't think we can sort of condemn teachers for doing this wrong, but I think it's that say of just thinking, Hmm, what should I do this year? Should I cast it a bit differently? Should I mix things up? Should we maybe there are different plays even that have more equal allocation of lines? Yes. That's what I was thinking when I was reading it. It's all about having like trying to create roles that have a bit of equality between the the hmm. um sharing of lines. But I also thought this is brilliant. We're not gonna have the crazy cramming in trying to get the seats at the front. Like at my daughter's school, if you do the PA um PTA, you like put all the drinks and stuff out afterwards you're allowed to get the first seat so the first like three rows are already taken when you walk in Ooh, controversial controversial and obviously i can't do that because i work so i can't go in and get the seats at the front and they're all safe all their mates and and then the head teacher stands up and says don't take any pictures and immediately five people stand up and take a picture <laughs> and you're there going this is this is this is classroom management next level nativity behavior management for parents must be horrendous what the funniest was when we were told not to stand up so i obviously didn't stand up because i do what i'm told and then everybody around me was standing up to take pictures and like to wave at their kids and the mum next to me was like why are you standing up i was like they said not to she's like mug what <laughs> <laughs> they said not to so i didn't i, I was really upset i didn't get to see ivy rose at all in her nativity why can you see I'm, I'm, how big is this Oh, or is it they're the, events dan there you know surely you yeah. can see the stage and there's no you can't no i couldn't she and she wasn't on the stage she was sat in front of the stage and i was sat right at the ah, back right right so i couldn't i didn't see her at all i didn't see her enter i didn't see her leave i saw and then i saw like a, a, she a ninja playing <laughs> <laughs> the ninja i think no, she, she just... was not a ninja she was a, a singer 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 she just sung Think, the, the well-known singers of the of the bar yeah. oh the, and they're trying to make a, a guest appearance right now but i'm going to say no okay well done we're going to keep that in ladies and gentlemen no, that, that's real life okay that's the that's the re reality of working from home with young children um, but um i think um yeah i think I, I hope everyone enjoys the nativities this year i know it's going to be different uh, and I know a lot of it's going to be done via Zoom and via private YouTube links. And there's complications around permissions. But I, as um, a piece from Shannon Doherty says today online for us, it's 
it's worth the effort because actually a lot of the community aspects of school have sort of faded out because it's everything's become digitized and it's still going to be a collective moment and i think that's nice definitely i think i think you're absolutely right on the christmas theme we have another christmas thing to discuss don't we we do um i'm gonna give her the credit because you won't give her credit herself Gronya has taken an idea and run with it and it's it's an incredible project that she's she's put together with some really good partners and so i hope you'll all get involved as she explains it now so we were thinking about nice things that you can do in schools at christmas time and the issues that are facing residents in care homes at the moment and we thought wouldn't it be lovely if we could get schools to pair up with care homes and for pupils to write letters make videos make cards with jokes and pictures and riddles and fun things in there and send them to care home residents to spread a little bit of happiness and joy over christmas and hopefully beyond and i think if if you want more details which you obviously do Go to Twitter. Go to find Gonya's Twitter handle, which is... Hey, Mrs. Hallahan. Spelling. Oh, hey, H-E-Y, Mrs. M-R-S, Hallahan, H-A-L-L-A-H-A-N. And you will find all the information, you'll find resources, you'll find a nice little video eventually, and we're going to be building up this Mm -hmm. over the next few weeks. Um, And also before we go, we asked last week for stories of um, putting your colleagues at uh, a disadvantage. It got spurred off by the lunchtime conversation. I don't know if you two had any people come in and confess, but my friend Pete, who's had a mention before and is an avid listener, and I haven't told him I'm going to tell tell this online, but he told me quite a tame one, but it's interesting. He, He cycled into school, got himself a shower before, and the steam set the fire alarm off and he came out of the P department to find that all the staff were lining up on the playground because the fire alarm had gone off. And so... Like that's our second PE teacher causing a fire alarm example. So from that data, I just think PE teachers are to blame for all the fake fire alarms in schools. Because you're married to one. He didn't do that one. (laughs) (laughs) That you know of. (laughs) So we would like more stories of um, chaos you have caused at school. Um, Pete did have another story about cheese, but he didn't want to elaborate and I'm not going to ask him to. <laughs> so, um, but if you do have any stories, please send them in to us. And uh, we'll be back next week with a cover feature that's quite interesting, actually. It's about um, a teacher that tested what level of difficulty he should do for his entire music class. So is it 80%? you know it's a pass rate of around 80 percent a difficulty level where people are achieving around 80 percent of the task optimal as the research suggests and he puts that through its paces over quite a long uh, period of time and it makes a fascinating read actually so we'll, we'll catch up on that next week 